Well, our text is in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. And speaking on the subject of divine vengeance. We started some time ago on uh, the book of 2 Peter and then uh, gotten away from it for a little while. And so I said, you know, I need to get back to that. Uh, and so we're back. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 2. And first, verse 4, we've already read the first three verses here. But um, in previous sermons, I, that's been about three months ago, I think. So it's, it's been a while since we've been back here. In 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 4, we read this. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Well, shall we pray? Now, fathers, we look down into your word here. Lord, we realize that this is a very serious subject. Lord, hell's a place that makes the devils tremble. It was designed to, by God, to torment devils, the fallen angels, forever and ever. It was so bad that some angels asked, don't send us there before the time. And Lord, you created it for them, and you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, Father, I pray if there's one in this auditorium today or listening by radio or watching on the live stream, I pray that if they're not sure if they died today that heaven's their home, I pray that they'd be the very day they come and receive Christ as Savior. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Divine vengeance shows us that God does repay. And great wickedness will always be punished in kind. Within the context of the book of 2 Peter and this second chapter, it illustrates that divine judgments are sure to come. It comes on those who associate Christianity with license. You know, it's one of the, if you want to uh, get into a study of signs, you know one of the great signs of the last days is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now they rock and roll in churches. Standards are out the door. That's a sign of the last days. And by the way, that's not a good thing to be that way. It's an evil way that God condemns in the Word of God, but said that those things would come about in these last days in the book of Jude, verse 4, particularly mentioning that. As a matter of fact, as we look at this, uh, so many look at license for their pleasure-seeking and worldly-friendly ways. They're going to find a truth that is written in 1 Peter chapter 4. Judgment begins at the house of God. Again, 
That's a truth, not a philosophy. Verses 4 through 7 of that follow our text today say this. Uh, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them to chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing on the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example, ensample, unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. When the last days come, so many Christians will be like Lot. Now, Lot is called in the Bible a righteous man. You say, how could he be righteous? Just like people that are saved today, but they're living with all of this sin in their personal lives and saying they have liberty and the grace to do this. Somehow, Satan has been able to convince them with that lie and deceive them, and just as Eve was deceived with the fruit, they are deceived in the same manner. Not because I say so, that's the word of God. So that's just evidence from the past with the angels. There was the flood and there was Sodom. All three show God's vengeance on the lost of this world. Now I want you to see some biblical statements on God's vengeance. The world likes us to say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's kind of funny now, but we look back. My dad, that was his text for about every sermon he preached the last two years that he was here. But, and it didn't matter what the subject was. He just thought that was, verse was always apropos, so he used that verse. But you know what? God did so love the world. He does so love the world. But if you die without him, you'll be the object of his wrath and vengeance. That's the absolute truth. But now we see some of these biblical statements. Let me go first with the Old Testament, and this is not going to be everything that's in the Old Testament on it, and I'm not going to share with you everything that's in the New Testament. Not even going to make a whole lot of statements about it, but I am going to just say a few things here. First of all, in Psalms 58.10, the righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet with the blood of the wicked. Oh, you read Revelation chapter 19 and his robes are stained, they're red. But the blood does flow to the horse's bridle. That psalm, particularly in Psalms 58, speaks of God taking his vengeance on those particularly who are attacking God's people. Look, God knows when the world's after you. God knows when the world mocks you for your stand, when the world stands against you for stand on the word of God. God knows that. So what does he do? You just remain faithful to him. Just see, you know what? I have a chance to prove my love to God. I'm not going to compromise for the world, for family, or for anything else. I'm going to stay true to God. And when you have that attitude, God 
rewards the faithful. He is there with you. Just know that God knows and be faithful. Don't quit regardless of the circumstances. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, that book is about the destruction of Nineveh. Nineveh had been spared 150 years earlier in Jonah's day. But you see, just because your grandparents got saved doesn't mean you're saved. You've got to have a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Nineveh was so destroyed to this day, they've just found remnants of where it was, but they have not been really able to uncover it. And when God said that he was going to destroy it, he destroyed it. God's work is always complete. So in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God is jealous. The Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserveth wrath for his enemies. Just three times there, we're told, the Lord revengeth. You see, you don't get away with sin before the judge of the universe. I, I, I've talked with people, and, and, and I remember one young lady back several years ago here, right here in Ocala that I was talking to, and uh, she said, I'm leaving my husband. I said, is he beating you? No. Has he been unfaithful? No. I just don't like him anymore. That, that's true. She just didn't like him. She said, I, I don't want to go through this anymore. I started pointing out scriptures, that was sin. She said, well, God will just have to forgive me. I says, no, God doesn't have to forgive you at all unless you repent. I says, if you repent, then you're going to turn back to your husband. Well, she went on, and I think she's had another one or two since then. But just saying God just has to forgive me. Have you ever heard anybody say about uh, people that are involved in various sins? It might be homosexuality, it might be drugs or something else, and they'll say, well, you just got to forgive them. Did you read that in Hezekiah 8.10? Because it's not in the Bible, okay? It's not in the Bible. You don't just got to forgive them. You got to have a, in your heart to forgive them if they repent. You got to have it in your heart to help them to get right with God. But no, in no way do you justify the wickedness of this world. God will take vengeance if there's not repentance. That's why the, it says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, verse 9. So again, I, I want you to understand, God does revenge. It might be worth your while to sometime take a good strong concordance. Look at the words revengeance and vengeance and so forth and see that God is serious about this subject. You say, well, what about the New Testament? I know there's other verses in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, it's there as well. Here's just some. In Luke chapter 21, verse 2, it's actually speaking there of the day of the tribulation. You and I, if we're saved, we're caught up to be with the Lord already. But those that are left behind, it's that tribulation hour. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. The days of vengeance. We say tribulation hour, the time of Jacob's trouble. But Jesus here also says the day 
of vengeance. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, God makes a promise to believers, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. That is a promise to God. The world attacks for its, for its stand. Yeah, it's good to stand upon the word of God, and it's good that it be your defense. It's good that you quote it. Sometimes, I, you know, as a pastor, I see things wrong in the church. I think, see things wrong going on in the life. That's God's given me that responsibility to address it, but address it through the word of God. That's the sword. Remember, I charge thee before God, we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. To preach the word. Even tells me how to preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering doctrine. That's God says to preach it that way. That's how we're to preach it. For me not to preach it that way is to sin against God on my part. I must preach God's will, God's way, and that's it. And it must address the problems. You say, well, people get mad at you and they accuse you of things. If God's word defends me, praise God. Yes, I will preach God's word for standing upon it. And if it defends me, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. It really is. So you just stand on the word of God and let God's word be, be your guide. Let it be your direction. But here again, he says, that these things that were written may be fulfilled in Luke chapter 21, verse 2. The days of vengeance, they'll be fulfilled. Romans 12, 19, he will repay a personal promise. Here's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, until the Lord comes back or until you die, you have an opportunity to be saved. But you die without Christ, that opportunity has been passed up, and now you have an eternity to face. Let me give you another one from uh, the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. And this is really for saved people. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. I believe God. He says he'll judge his people. And again, he judges his own. As we said earlier, judgment begins at the house of God. You can't look at America and see the way the churches, the local churches have gone over these last 10, 15, 20 years and not expect God to suddenly start bringing judgment on America. 
Now, I know that CNN or MSNBC or any others aren't going to pay attention to me anyhow. But if it was out there, they're going to say, oh, he's saying all this trouble, all the rioting, all the weather, all the pandemic, all everything is because of God's judgment. What's wrong with that preacher? I tell you what's wrong with him. He believes God. Just believe God. God tells us. Okay, I'm not anything, but God is everything. Believe him. Believe him. And so, God judges his own. So America is not a safe haven from the hand of God. You can go with the world. You can be contemporary. You can mock standards. You can call them legalistic. You can blame the church for your child's morals. A broken home, adulterous ways. But he, that is God, that looketh upon the heart, is not deceived by the mockery of his holiness and righteousness. Psalms 145 tells us there in verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his work. I don't care if it's in your personal life. I don't care if it's going on in church. If it doesn't reflect an all-holy God, it's not right. And don't attribute it to God. God showed me that I laid it on my heart to do this. And you're breaking scriptures? That's crazy. That's crazy. Right, can you imagine me driving down uh, 36th Avenue at 115 mile an hour, as blind as I am? Um, but driving down there, and a policeman pulls me over and says, I've got to write you a ticket, man. You, I'm liable to take you on it. What for? God told me to drive 115 mile an hour. Well, the law says this. Well, you know, God told me, so that supersedes the law. You know, sometimes children can use that about their parents. Uh, you can't say, I'll tell past midnight. Well, God told me to do that, Dad. Can you imagine, I, most of you knew Dr. Jesse Bloom. And if I had said that to him, I'd have both uppers and lowers. Okay? So, uh, no, you don't do that. And, and, and that happens in churches. The pastor says, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to go this direction. I'm not going to do that. Okay. See, that's what Satan does. He gets people to justify things in their heart and mind. But God hates it. And God will revenge it. So understand, it must be God's will, God's way, in God's timing. In Jude 7, even in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example of suffering vengeance of eternal fire. You know, sometimes people take a verse, and I've used that in here, uh, out of Ezekiel about fullness of bread. Idleness of time was the reason Sodom fell, not for homosexuality. Well, then you've just called Jude 7. You just said, God, the Holy Spirit lied right here. Because in Ezekiel, he said that. Well, I didn't say that. Well, that's what you're saying if you're saying that's what, not what God destroyed. God destroyed that thing for its immorality. 
Homosexuality was an abomination then, and it is today, because we've got an unchanging God. But he can save a homosexual. He can save a drug addict. He can take them from that lifetime, that lifestyle. He can do that because our God's power is as great as it ever was. And it always will be. And so, just understand, these things here are an example. This society that we have, this sodomite, baby-murdering, so-called civilized world today, is as bad or worse than Sodom. Local churches like to tolerate some of that, or Christians, because their children are involved. It's all right to murder by abortion your daughter's babies so as not to embarrass the family or to keep her from marrying that jerk. It is better to be jailed, my friend, the rest of my days than to be a mockery and to make a mockery and butchering by condoning this debauchery. I am then making the butchery of all of the righteousness and holiness of God in my life. America can have revival until its churches quit trying to justify the flesh and turn the fear of God, which is to hate evil, as Proverbs 8.13 says, Psalms 97.10, Psalms uh, 13, verse 9, and, and also 9.21. They said, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I wonder. It is time that we look back at this text because men aren't, aren't excluded. Look, judgment is coming. People are going to go to hell. I was sharing with somebody something I read in a book this week, but I, I thought it was very good. There is no man in hell today who would choose to stay in hell rather than to go to heaven on God's terms. But the problem is you don't get that chance in hell. It's in this life. One second after death, it is eternally too late, and that place called hell is yours forever. Do you know that if you died today, that heaven's your home? In our text, it speaks of God's vengeance on the devils. When we've looked at what we've read in this chapter, many false teachers in the last days, you wonder how Calvinism, contemporary, and Catholicism gets going? That's what it is, the three evil seas. That's where it comes from. The last days. That's the way they are. That's the day in which we live. And so, these last days, people are trying to be devil's advocates. Do you, do you realize the devil doesn't need an advocate? People question the Bible. 
being a devil's advocate, trying to shake people's faith, that is not spiritual, that is not holy, that is not righteous in any absolute way, whatever. And if you think you're doing a good job to do that, my friend, you're going to wake up if you are saved, saved so as by fire. Well, that's something to repent of and get it right with God as soon as you can. Now again, we look at these people, these devils. It says there in verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell. Do you realize that word hell is the Greek word Tartarus? That's not something you put on fish. Uh, but Tartarus. Now there's actually four compartments to hell back there in the Old Testament and so forth. Hell. Sometimes you hear the word Hades. But really, there's four things about it. First of all, there was paradise. It's called Abraham's bosom. The whole thing together was called Sheol. Then there was a great gulf. That's the second part. The third part was what we'd say Hades. That's where that man was tormented, that rich man was tormented in this flame. Uh, by the way, it's 2,000 years later now, and he's still tormented in that flame. And then there's Tartarus, the worst part. That's where the devils go. It's so bad that the Gadarenes, when that one man had a legion of devils in him, when they saw Jesus, they said, don't send us there before the time. They had a fear of that place they're going to, but they couldn't escape. They asked to be put in a herd of swine before instead of go there. The devils believe in that hell. They know about it. We read of the bottomless pit. Simply it means... There's no end uh, to it. And so here they are. We read way back there when we started looking at this chapter in verse 1, swift destruction. Do you realize it doesn't mean as soon as it happens? Well, God didn't do anything about that. Look, he let, he let him go. God must not mean anything about it. No, swift destruction doesn't mean it happens right then. It doesn't mean it's going to happen in, in a couple of years. Now, swift destruction means simply this. When the Lord starts, there's no stopping it, and he'll do a quick work of it. Tribulation, seven years, but when the Lord, that skies roll back, and he appears, it's going to be a quick work. Even though the blood will flow to the horse's bridle, it's going to be a quick work once he starts. One second into eternity, it's too late to do anything. If you're saved, it's too late to add to your reward. But if you're not saved, you're down there where that rich man has been tormented day and night forever and ever. Look, when Jesus rose up from the dead, those that were in Abraham's bosom, he took up there to the third heaven, what is called paradise now. Brother Jerry is in paradise. He is in the third heaven. 
It wasn't bad to be in Abraham's bosom. But they were glad when Jesus, when he ascended on high, took captivity captive, Ephesians chapter 4, and they were taken up into heaven. But God judges the angels that fell. The devil was able to deceive them with fabricated words. You know that word, uh, feigned words there in verse 4? You know what it means? Fabricated words. It's, it's plastic. It's plastic words. That's what it actually means. That's where the plastosis or something like that is the Greek word which we get our word plastic from. Feigned words. Made it look pretty good. Angels thought, hey, I'll get a higher position. And they failed with Satan. Satan was able to deceive them with feigned words. They thought they'd be in a higher place. Revelation 12 tells us one-third of the angels fell with him. Yes, you have all these different parts that existed back then. Examples throughout the Word of God. You know what? You've got to say the Word of God is just like some of the liberals and the Christ deniers say today. Well, that's just a book of fairy tales. How can a book be just a book of fairy tales when it accurately, accurately, in Genesis 3.15 spoke of a virgin birth. Accurately in Psalms 22, a thousand years before the crucifixion not only told it, but even said what they would do, and they at that time didn't have that kind of an execution. How could he, in Ezekiel 38, talk about a coalition of nations, and we see those coalitions coming together today? You can mock hell. You can mock salvation. You can mock righteousness. You can mock fundamentalism. You can get down and make a mockery of all of it, but my friend, one day you're going to have to meet God. Are you 100% sure if you died today that heaven is your home? Now, if you're saved, you may need to seek, for, seek forgiveness from the rebellion against his word and his house. Mocking God's holiness and righteousness. Calling anything with standards. Oh, they're legalistic. I guess that was another thing I could say if that cop pulled me over doing 115 mile an hour. You're a legalist. You know what, to say that about standards that are from God's word is just as stupid as that. It really is. It's time to wake up. This country's going to hell. Many of us are going to have grandchildren, great-grandchildren in hell if the Lord tarries his coming, and we need to get back into the idea of bringing souls to Christ. They need to hear the way, whether they accept it or reject it. They need to hear it so that they can accept it if they get to that point in life that they all of a sudden realize I need help. We hear the term going to hell in a handbasket. All I know is if you die without Christ, that's your eternal destiny. They're there, and then there's a great white throne. 
those that have been in hell all this time that died without Christ are taken before the white throne. They're judged and they're cast into the eternal lake of fire, which is worse than what they've been in. You know what the difference is? It's just kind of like jail and prison. They're going from jail to prison, but it's forever. Do you know that you're saved today? He said, him that come to me out of no wise cast out. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. What must you do? You must realize I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough to deserve heaven. I need a Savior. And realize that Jesus Christ is that Savior. He said, whosoever will, let him come. You are made in God's image. That means you've got a free will. And you can, by that free will, accept Christ or reject him. But I'm telling you today, if you'll come to him saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I need to have my sins washed away. I need to uh, have eternal life. I want to give my heart and life to him. And you give him. He's the head. You're submitted to him. You're ready to give your heart and life to him. His promises is that he'll save you no matter who you are. Oh, you don't know the sins I've had. Yes, well, his, the power of his blood is greater than the worst of your sins. He can cleanse you. He can save you. He can change you. But it's up to you to give your heart and life to him today. If you'll do it. If you'll do it, he'll save you. Won't you do it today? Let's bow our heads, please.